Welcome to Adventures in Business. This is a show where we have thought-provoking conversations with founders, CEOs, and business leaders of various industries to learn about their stumps, falls, trials, tribulations, and successes on how they manage the current business environment. Join our hosts, Mandy Graziano and Amani Roberts, as we chat with our next guest. Welcome, welcome. Here we are. It is Monday, August 7th. Yes, there's Mandy right there. <laughs> Mandy, how yes, are you hands. feeling? Tell us how you're feeling uh, today. Amani, <laughs> first of all, my girlfriends have named my summer cold Glenn. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I waged this whole thing. I said, I've got a summer cold. We got to name her. Because once we conquer her, we can say, I conquered so-and-so. And so, so like Ruth, there was Ruth, there was Cassidy, <laughs> there was a lot of names submitted. And then mm-hmm. one of my gal pals said, women get a bad rap about so many things. We got to name this a guy. Sorry, no offense, money. She's like, Perfect. we're going to name it after my ex-boyfriend that cheated on me, Glenn. <laughs> so, oh, so, so, oh, this, so Glenn and I are still hanging out. Um, I started a Z-Pack yesterday. Which, by the way, nobody, you know, I have anxiety disorder. We've talked about this on the show before. Mm. Nobody told me that when you take a Z-Pack, you get the jitters. So I was a mess uh, for about a couple hours after I took the Z-Pack yesterday. But it's all good. I got a system in place now. And um, I don't know. I'm better today than I was last week. But uh, how about you? you? How are you feeling? I'm doing well. I'm going to share something with you, but first, shout out to Dean LeBay, who's in the chat. Welcome, Dean. Also, we want to say a big thank you, Dean, for coming and being present on almost every one of our shows and being one of our most loving and supportable, supportive, supportive people. I think I said that right. Dean, we love you. We, you you're just <laughs> yes. such a contributor. We love your questions. Yes. Thank you so much, Dean. Amazing. Yes. Thank you, Dean. And then we also have to thank a thank you to Cassie and to Corbin, who helped like with the trailer and the graphics and everything behind the scenes. We want to say a big thank you to Cassie and Corbin. Anything else there? Well, I th- we I think we want to say an extra big thanks because we had our one year anniversary yes. show yes. and we had mm-hmm. a lot of moving parts. It was a real circus. It was a fun circus, <laughs> but we forgot to thank the C's. And there's we cannot right. do this show without Cassie and Corbin. So yeah, that's a that's a two week belated happy one year anniversary to them. Too. Yes, yes, yeah. So happy one year anniversary. I would guess the most exciting news for me is that you know I've been writing this book and I just finished pretty much the probably. The majority of it on Thursday, mm. so it's a huge relief. It's a lot of work, and yes. um, I had a meeting this morning, and and we have some really cool ideas. So we're like kind of getting closer to the home stretch, and I'm super excited and super happy. So that's probably the most exciting thing for the last week. Amani, I'm so excited for you. <laughs> I have a question because, like, okay. you know, when I finished writing my book, I did certain things, and this is your second book. So Correct. I want to ask you, how does it feel finishing writing your second book versus writing your first book? Because there's so many more knowns second mm-hmm. time around. Mm-hmm. So how did it feel when you finished it on Thursday compared to the first time around? Um, it was probably a little bit less dramatic this time because I know that some edits are coming and edits, they chop up things. But um, I'm excited because... I was even more excited because this is a much longer book. Like we were talking, I have the notes. It might be like 140, 150,000 words, which is a lot of words. Wow. Word. That's a lot That's of a words. a lot of words. Yeah. So um, it's primarily like a research book. It's probably going to be like an encyclopedic book. But um, 
And you know how we have the fancy cartoons too? Yeah. That I do. We're going to probably add some of those into the book too. So oh, it's like, I'm excited, God. but I know what's coming next. So I'm kind of better prepared because last time it was a shot to the ego when the editor got my book and chopped it up and I was hurting for a couple of months, but I'm ready. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. You were hurting. Are you going to use your book in your classes that you teach? Is this going to be curriculum? Or are you going to hope to use it for curriculum in the business school to. of business? I hope to. It's kind of a little gray, but I hope to. I think so. So we'll see. We'll see how the class goes this semester. And um, that's the plan. So yes. Good question. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. Congratulations. Now, talk to us about our guest today. I've got my notes here. I've, I'm ready for this one too. Tell us who are we talking to today? We have a real <laughs> interesting human. I'm so excited for her to be on the show. Um, she is the founder of Scout Agency, which is a really interesting niche marketing firm, all about podcasts, everything you want to know about podcasts. And she's also the author, best-selling author mm -hmm. of The Emotional Entrepreneur, which I'm very excited about talking about. And um, she's just, she's got a couple podcasts. Um, mm -hmm. One of them is OK Sis, which is super fun with her sister. And uh, just a really awesome founder. So I think we should just bring her on. We've got Scout Sobol. All right. Here's Scout. She's on your screen. Round of applause for Scout right there. Yes. Awesome. Welcome. Yes. Oh, well, my we gosh. <laughs> we have sound effects for these. <laughs> yeah. Can I get that sound effect that I can play whenever I walk in a room? I love that. That was Heck fun. Yeah. 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 So we're here. Uh, we are really want to learn more about podcast guesting and that. We also want to learn more about you. My first question for you, though, is can you explain to us why do you admire the Olsen twins? <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, can I tell you, I've been on 200 plus podcast episodes as a guest and Nobody has ever asked me that question, and I'm scared as to where you learned that information because that means you did the biggest deep dive on me ever. Um, a mommy's a creeper. It's good. No, this is amazing. <laughs> Give me a platform to talk about the Olsen twins all day long. So I obviously grew up on the Olsen twins. I They're a couple years older than me, so I watched all of their TV shows and their movies growing up, et cetera. They were, they were kind of, I feel like, they're the older sister of my generation. Um, but this sounds, this sounds so weird and I don't know how I've ever been able to articulate it, but when they made the transition into fashion, it was incredibly inspiring to me. My mom, uh, raised me on fashion. It's been a love of mine that I'm not as public about. It's not part of my personal brand, but when I was really, really in the thick of things during my, uh, when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, Something that sparked beauty and creativity and inspiration for me every morning was going to Tumblr, RIP Tumblr, and seeing if there were any new photos of the Olsen twins outfits because there was something so interesting and fresh and new and exciting about the way they put together their clothing. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen on other celebrities and public figures. And every day I would refresh wanting to see, I mean, I, I felt bad that they were paparazzi photos, but I wanted to see what they were wearing. And that was sort of my escape. And it was my connection to something that was beautiful in this world, even though it was just a beautiful outfit, it sparked something in me when I really didn't feel so alive in those days. And additionally, Mary Kate Olsen was on the cover of Nylon magazine, which I don't know if Nylon is still around anymore at least not print-wise. So and, many RIPs. I know. <laughs> and 
I read the article on her and it was the first time I was 18 when I read it. I bought it, printed it out and pasted it into my notebook because it was the first time I read a profile on someone that I thought was being written about me or at least what I would want someone to write about me. And it said that she has really high highs and really low lows. And it was the most beautifully written article. I'm a writer first before I became an entrepreneur. And so I really, I think identified with the creative, beautiful worlds that they created with their outfits, with their fashion line, with the furniture, all the things. And it was a really, it was a, it was an escape for me in my darkest times. And so I've always been a diehard now Olsen fan. Hmm. There we go. Lovely that's introduction good. there. Yeah, great, that's great. I want to dip into uh, bipolar disorder because mm-hmm. you know, on this show, when we talk with founders and CEOs, we do talk about mental wellness a lot. I mean, I've been really open about my anxiety disorder. We've had other people talk about their highs and lows, but your bipolar disorder is such a big part of your story. So and I have family members that have bipolar disorder. I've been through the process with them, the diagnosis, the um, hospitalization, the life after kind of thing. And and I think if you don't know anything about it, you just, you put it in this box of, you know, that's just not me and that's the crazy person or whatever that is, which isn't fair because I've had people say that about me too with anxiety disorder. But I think normalizing it and talking about it is really important. Can you just, for the audience, just explain a quick definition of what bipolar disorder is and how that diagnosis showed up for you in your life and how it informs, you know, who you are in your business? It's a triple, kind of three-peat kind of question. Yeah. Let me see. Remind me. I want to make sure I answer all three of those points. So my bipolar disorder, I'm type two, which essentially means that I have mood swings, but I really typically... Uh, air on the more depressive side versus the manic side. So mm-hmm. I have more depressive episodes with hypomania mixed in. And in addition to that kind of just like baseline, I kind of alternate between hypomania and depression. Uh, I also have paranoia and psychosis and I suffer from catatonia, which I think um, only a small percentage of people with bipolar disorder suffer from, mm-hmm. which is when your nervous system gets so overwhelmed that it just shuts down and you become essentially paralyzed. So my personal symptoms run the gamut from anxiety, depression, psychosis, paranoia, and catatonia and hypomania. Um, I was diagnosed at the age of 20. I, however, my, I mean, even when you look back in childhood, there were, there were definite uh, moments yeah. of yeah. emotional turmoil for me as a child, but I really usually start my story at 14, which is when I had my first depressive episode. So by the time I was formally diagnosed, we have to remember, I know it doesn't sound that long ago, but it was 12 years ago. And 12 years ago, Instagram wasn't a thing. 12 years ago, podcasts weren't a thing. There was no personal brand of someone who had bipolar disorder. There was no thought leader on mental health. There was no quotes graphically mocked up to help navigate this. And so When I received the diagnosis, I thought that I was done for crazy. My life was over Mm. Um, and I had no one to turn to. I really feel like I healed by being inquisitive and curious and going to the self-help aisle in Barnes & Noble and looking over to make sure no one saw me there because it was not a Mm. cool aisle 12 years ago to walk down. Um, So when I got diagnosed, it felt incredibly scary. I really didn't feel like I had a future and 
I talk about this a lot, but I think that the narrative that was given to me by my therapist and my psychiatrist were not one of empowerment, but rather one of disempowerment. Mm. And so I really went through a difficult time in my 20s, including needing to drop out of college. Um, I wasn't able to hold down minimum wage jobs. There was a lot of talk of me not being able to function in society. And um, I obviously was able to turn that around. But that narrative continued even even when I did have my business. I mean, I was told that I was I had too severe of a case to go off medication and get mm. pregnant naturally. And once I started realizing that the conversation was just around what I couldn't do and limiting me and other people being afraid of my own emotional landscape, that's when I realized that I had to, no one was ever going to feel safe around my bipolar disorder and that's okay, but I had to feel safe within it. And so mm. I've been on a very intense, healing journey. Uh, entrepreneurship, I say, saved my life. It provided me the vehicle at which I could really, really channel this energy into productivity and success. Uh, I always say that I couldn't handle the minimum wage job responsibility. I can only handle responsibility when it's all on my shoulders. So ah. I, you know, I can't get a psychiatrist note to get out of scouts agency, right? Like if I didn't show up, what happens? Mm -hmm. uh, but I could get a psychiatrist note to get out of my shift as a hostess. So <laughs> there's a lot of intersection between mental, my mental illness and my success as an entrepreneur that I think they really worked hand in hand. And today I say that I take radical responsibility over my emotional landscape and radical responsibility over my life. I think that a lot of the narratives around mental illness is one of out of controlness. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, there's so many things that we have in our control if we can just facilitate and channel the energy the proper way. I agree. And then just pay attention <clears throat> to those little pink flags, like where your mm. where your where your illness is telling you, like, hey, we're about to have an episode, or we're not going to feel great today, or whatever that is. Because those are you're totally in control of all of that, you know. And then yeah, yeah, I say that. You might not be in control whether you feel an emotion, right? Like an emotion might pop up and you might not be in a place in your healing where you can control that, but you do control how you react to that moment. That is in your control and that's where your power lies. Yeah. Do you remember how you got through the episode when you were 14? I mean, not, I, I mean, I didn't get through it very well. I... I went down pretty quickly and I was wearing monochromatic sweats and I joke, not the like trendy ones that got us through 2020. They were not cute back then. <laughs> um, I was using forms of control to grasp at what was happening to me through food, uh, which is not my issue, but it was just a way I coped in that time. I was unfortunately self-harming and my school found out, told my parents, and they started putting me through therapy. And it was, you know, I, I look back and it's a blessing that I wasn't taken that seriously in high school because I think a lot of the conversation was, is she a teenager who's having hormonal problems and acting out or is there a bigger story here? And I took a 500 test answer, whatever quiz. And I, and I, 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 what's it called? Was placed on the clinical to chronic depression scale, but you know, I wasn't really put on meds. It wasn't super treated formally. I went to therapy once a month and I'm really grateful actually for that because I don't think that going on medication at that time in my life would have been the right thing for me. Yeah, totally. And it wasn't until I went away for college that I started losing touch with reality, thinking men were following me home, hiding under my bed, that 
that was when my whole family was like, okay, she's not, she's not a hormonal teenager. Something else is happening. And that's when it got more serious. But um, yeah, I mean, my friends all knew that I was the, like, the sensitive one, the one in the corner being emo all the time. And the one who didn't think she was invincible and I would have emotional paralysis and not be able to finish my homework. Or I took like a million mental health days and sat at coffee shops and read instead of went to school. I was, I was definitely um, different than my friends and they, they, everyone just like kind of knew. I love what you did with the emotional entrepreneur, your book, Mm -hmm. because I think that it's, I think it's really important for people. I mean, being an entrepreneur is difficult as it is. Right. But I think what you did with it about the 25 mindsets and how to deal with that as, as a human, you know, with, with, a with, a you know, with, with bipolar disorder or not, I think it's really, it's good to put it in that box because we all go through the gambit of all these different emotions as an entrepreneur. So can you just talk a little bit about your book and like the system of the book? Cause I think the system is what is super valuable. The information is valuable, but that system in there is super mm-hmm. valuable. Oh, thank you. So the, I, the concept of emotional entrepreneurship came to me when I started Scouts Agency, which I think it was 27 or 28 at the time when I started my business. And I had failed a couple businesses before, but this was really the first one where I was reaching some financial success within the business. And the whole year, I was so anxious. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I was crying all the time. It was so uncomfortable. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, wait a minute, I've been in therapy for like 15 years. I've been working on my mental health forever. I've been 5150. And I've been on every psych med under the sun. I've had really gnarly mental health issues. Why am I having such a difficult time with this? And I recognize that our businesses are really a mirror and they really highlight your personal development and emotional weaknesses. And they ask you to work on it right now, because if you don't work on it right now, your business will swallow you whole. So I'm a people pleaser. And I remember Going up to my apartment at the time, and I saw there was like a mirror next to um, the elevators. And I wasn't exactly a spiritual person at that time. I'm a much more spiritual person today. And I looked in the mirror and I just started laughing. And I was like, okay, God, I see you. I'm the biggest people pleaser in the world. And you had me start a business where I have clients. Like that is a recipe for disaster for someone who's codependent (laughs) and a people pleaser. And I was like, okay, for once and for all, I have to deal with this if I want my business to succeed. And so there was that part of it, seeing how emotionally difficult it was for me. And then there was the other part of it. Of I was watching my friends, uh, people I had met through podcasting, people in my circle, all women and, and men too, but they really wanted to start businesses. And I would listen to them talk about it. And I noticed that they weren't, they weren't starting them, not because they didn't have the education or they didn't have a good idea or most of the times because they didn't have the financial means. They had the financial resources to get something off the ground. They weren't starting it because of fear, Mm -hmm. because of their relationship to uncertainty, because of the anxiety that would come up with it, because of the judgment. And that's when I realized that starting a business has nothing to do. I mean, I shouldn't say nothing to do, but starting a business isn't necessarily about the P&L and the marketing and the hiring and the HR and all of those things. People weren't getting into the game because of anxiety and fear. People weren't getting into the game because of the emotional component. And I very clearly saw that all of my emotional problems were going to be the thing that made me sink or made me swim to success. And so I got pretty diligent and realizing that this was a hugely emotional game. And so 
I wrote The Emotional Entrepreneur. It's 25 mindset lessons that allow you to move through your business, working on your emotions and feeling safe within your emotions so that you can get to the next level. Because yes, entrepreneurship has a lot of turmoil in it. There's a lot of highs and there's a lot, a lot of lows, but you shouldn't have to live in those polarities at all times. There is a way to calm the storms a little bit and live in that middle ground as much as you can because you're taking good care of yourself. So this book is for the woman who wants to start a podcast or a YouTube or an agency or a product-based business or whatever business she wants to start. This is the emotional guidebook to get you through those first couple of years when you feel like every day you're getting hit with, with something else. So powerful. No. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. What are th your favorite three tools that you use or you recommend when people are going through emotional times as an entrepreneur? It's so hard for me to recommend three tools because tools work so differently for everybody. The thing that I would actually recommend because I could, get, I could rattle three tools off. My three tools are meditation, journaling. Mm. Meditation, journaling are my main two and a lot of mindset work. So monitoring my thoughts all day long and every time a limiting one comes up or something that's not very nice, I challenge it, is it true? And then I flip it and create a more expansive belief around it. Those are my three main tools that keep me on track. But th those three tools aren't going to be the tools that work for everybody. So, and that's why I find a lot of personal development or healing for mental health work so difficult to prescribe. You know, I think it's so different from, let's say, Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Where they have a 12-step program. It's a little bit more subjective. So I always say, get really curious about the different tools. There's gratitude, there's journaling, there's a million, right? We all know them. There's embodiment, there's getting acupuncture, there's therapy, there's coaching, there's sleeping right, there's eating right, there's it's everything, right? And try them on and see which one works for you and be really curious. It took me years and years and years to find my core things. And now I'm so great at knowing, okay, what do I need right now? Do I need my tools? Or do I just need to go to bed early tonight? Do I need to meditate? Or do I need to eat a healthy dinner? Do I need to, you know, pray or do I need to dance to a song? What is it that I need internally? What is, what is my mindset telling me? But to get to that point where you can do a quick scan and know exactly what tool you need to do takes so long. So give yourself the grace. It took me 10 years to get to this point where I feel safe in my emotions and I can navigate storms within three days versus three months. Hmm. But get really curious because I know if you're listening, you've heard of three tools. You've heard of it. And so it's not about what are the three tools. It's about, are you going to get curious enough to actually try them on and to give yourself the time to allow them to come to fruition so you can see the impact they've had over your life. And then once you know what works for you, do you have the courage to actually pause, ask yourself what you need in that moment and then implement it? Nice. I, nice. I, I love the three it. tools. The, the three tools, it's like not the tools. It's what are your tools. That's, yeah, a, that's yeah, awesome. Great. Yeah. Shout out Todd. Welcome in Todd, the co-founder of LifeSpace. So glad you're here with us. Um, Hi, welcome Todd. to the business. Uh, I have a follow-up question, Mandy, but do you, you know, I want to ask about journaling and journal prompts. Do you have your favorite journal prompts that you really think are most effective? Because I also, I think you do too, Mandy, participate in journaling. Okay. And I'm always looking for some very impactful journal prompts. Mm. So I journal every single morning. I have 
probably about 15 black moleskin journals that I've had since I was 14. I sell about one a year. Um, and they've run the gamut over the years of what I do, but I like, I have a, I have a nine month year old, so I don't always, there we go. Yay. I have a nine month year old, so I don't always get to it first thing in the morning anymore, but pre baby, it would be the first thing I do. I walk upstairs, I pour myself a cup of coffee. I sit down while I'm waking up and I just go subconscious, whatever comes to mind, I rattle it off. So I've never been a journal prompt person. However, there is one prompt that I do love utilizing. And that is soul journaling. And I use it to access my soul or I use it to access my future self. So what you do is you ask your soul or your future self a question. Like I was going through a really hard time a couple months ago and I called upon my future self and I said, what, what do I need to know right now? Like, what am I not seeing? And I just allowed her to speak to me. Mm. She spoke to me and I just journaled what she would say to me. And she said things like, I promise you that this works out from where I'm sitting. I'm sitting here. We're doing this. We just did that last year. And I need you to continue because this version of me needs you to be where you are right now. And it just allows you to access a higher wisdom and allows you to take yourself out of the day-to-day minutia. I think especially when we're in turmoil or when we're in crisis, especially around our business, because it's so tied to our survival, it's hard to see the bigger picture. So soul journaling or future highest self-journaling is my favorite prompt. Ooh. Amani, what's your prompt? What's your journal prompt? You oh, do? I have so many prompts. I have so many prompts I'm trying to think of. I like to write letters, actually. So it's very similar to what you described. Mm-hmm. Maybe write a letter to myself six months from now or a year from now. Or if there's a particular incident that happened or a person that made you upset, maybe you write a letter from their perspective to you. Just different things like that. But I think letters are very, very powerful. So that's kind of one of my favorites. How about you, Wendy? Yeah. I like to ask, what's my superpower today? Mm, That's Because okay. every day is different, right? Some days you feel awesome. Another day, like today, I feel sick. I'm like, my superpower is not my health today. Like, you know, <laughs> yes. like, but I do like to, that's my, yeah, I don't know if that's a journal okay. prompt, but it's a question I like to ask in the morning. Hello to Cherry G and Steve watching us also. Welcome in. Okay, over to you, Mandy. <laughs> well, I think we got to get to it. We got, let's get yes. to the podcasting because- <laughs> Um, this is, you know, an important topic. It's a a huge medium and you've built your whole business around it. So can you just share what scout agency is Mm -hmm. and how you started it? And then Amani and I are probably going to fly a whole bunch of questions to you about podcasting. Yes. So I started Scouts agency four and a half years ago because five years ago this month, I started a podcast. Okay. Sis with my sister. And when I started it, I fell in love with the medium because I was having conversations with people, women I never thought I'd have access to, women that I definitely cannot DM and say, can I pick your brain over coffee? Because they would say no. But when I asked them to be a guest on my podcast, they said yes. Mm -hmm. And I was having these conversations where our phones were away. We were really zoned in and we were having a purposeful, concentrated, vulnerable, impactful conversation for an hour. And I felt my sister and I going so deep with our guests so quickly that it formed these incredible relationships and these incredible conversations. And in a world where social media and digital media is fast and fleeting, I felt like I had found my footing in something that had such depth. So I fell in love with it for selfish reasons. It was giving me the network of a freaking lifetime. I mean, I always say my sister and I were two Jewish sisters. (laughs) <laughs> that wasn't, we weren't like really heading so many places. Like we were just kind of like figuring it out in our twenties. 
and suddenly we're interviewing women from Bachelor Nation, best-selling authors, top entrepreneurs, and it put us into the room like that. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. we, we couldn't believe what was happening. So on a personal level, I was like podcasting all day long. This is the best. But then what I would see happen was when we would publish these episodes with our guests, I would watch our community, follow our guests online, buy their books, buy their products, listen to their podcasts, become clients of theirs, whatever it was they were offering or working on in the world. And that's when I realized that being a guest on a podcast was a form of PR. And not only was it a form of PR, it was one that had such depth because people were following these people or buying their product because they emotionally resonated with them as human beings, mm -hmm. not because they read an article and heard it from a journalistic perspective or because they read a caption that was edited or they saw a photo that was facetuned, right? It was straight yeah. from the mouth, authentic. And they were speaking like they were only in the room with two people because they were only in the room with two people. And so I was like, wow, I think women need to be a guest on podcasts. And then my sister and I went on podcasts. We saw our podcast grow because of it. And so I, I had this idea, you know, I was kind of like this serial entrepreneur that never had any success at that point. I started, I was like, oh, that's a good idea. Let's, let's try that. Right. Like I would create a Squarespace website and see if it got any traction. So honestly, it was done informally, but there was a big fire under my ass because at that point, like I just wanted to create a business that made money. Like my, mm -hmm. my family was exhausted by me because I just kept trying so many things. Mm -hmm. And something about the podcast tour idea just really resonated with me because I was doing it in my own life. I was seeing this happen and no one was talking about this strategy. So I created an Excel spreadsheet of a thousand women. I actually started with podcasters because that was the space I came from. So I felt like there was that connection there. So a thousand female podcasters that I wanted to represent, I emailed all of them with a media kit and uh, in 24 hours, Gmail blocked my email because they said I was spamming. So I opened mm -hmm. up a second email <laughs> to keep going. And then I had two emails for a year and that was a total shit show. Um, and very quickly, I garnered up a roster of 10 clients. I quit my day job in three months. Um, I am a little masochistic and I am very comfortable taking risks. And um, fast forward to today, we've really been able to pioneer and pave the way of what a successful podcast tour looks like. Now it is a ubiquitous strategy and we're really leading the forefront of what that looks like. So we've booked our clients on over 3000 podcast episodes. We have booked our clients on some of the top podcasts. We have had the honor and the privilege of representing incredible women, Mandy included. And it's been an insane, insane journey to see that we now have a complete system. We have a database of thousands of podcasts that we pull from. We've helped our clients launch best-selling books, grow Instagram followers, gain clients, uh, connect with celebrity hosts, the networking component of the whole thing, grow their thought leadership, build out their personal brand. And it's it's been crazy. It's been like, honestly, <laughs> when I think about it, I'm like, what happened? How did this happen? So that's what I do. <laughs> yeah. But I think the timing was perfect because yeah. people were just starting to listen and you just capitalized and rocked it. And, and, and the niche was so, cause there's so many agencies out there that are PR firms or marketing firms or podcast, but that, but specifically getting people on podcasts is difficult to do. And you just focus just on that, which I think is really, really important. I have a question about what makes a good podcast guest? So there are a bunch of people that are listening to this and they they have a thought, they have an idea and they want to be guests on podcasts and 
obviously Amani and I know what we think makes a good guest because we've been doing this a little bit too. But on your end, when you're pitching podcasts, what are some of those buzzwords that you're using or what do you think makes a really good and compelling podcast host or podcast guest? Well, you know, when I started this business, it really was, it really is looking back like an amalgamation of all my experiences. So I studied English literature and journalism in college and writing profiles was my favorite. That's why I fell in love back to the Mary Kate Olsen profile. That was the thing that made me want to write profiles. So when I was writing pitches and because I've honestly, I'm a college dropout and I've never actually had a real job. I worked for my mom for like a year. Um, I didn't know what a pitch looked like. I didn't know. And so I was like, okay, well, I like to write. So the first thing is that I really lead with the human first because that's what the medium is. So when I write a pitch, I want to capture the essence, the aura, and the energy of that person and their mission. I think that when people are thinking about being a guest on a podcast, the way to make yourself a good guest and present as a good guest is you have to give a little bit. It's not about necessarily the cookie cutter marketing. Yes, you want to put those shiny things and those shiny stats in your pitch to create that instant credibility and trust with the podcast host, but you want to give them the human. You want to give them the story. You want to give them your personality. And while, of course, you want to present professionally, this is also not 60 minutes, right? This is also not a Forbes interview. This is People want to hear the inflection in your voice. They want to hear you come alive. They want to hear your heart. And so when it comes to being a good podcast guest and why I love this strategy is one, anyone can hop in at any stage. Your business does not need to be at a certain level. You do not need certain accolades and you do not need to be hitting certain markers that maybe you would need for traditional press to be a success. If you have a human story, which if you are listening to this right now, or if you've started a business, you have one you are a candidate to be a podcast guest, but to make it a good interview, which starts with the pitch, right? Cause you got to get the pitch to get to the interview. Uh, be, be you, like really just be you. It, it doesn't have to be so curated. It does have to come from the heart. And I think that podcast hosts now, I mean, you guys have done this for a year. Would you rather talk to someone whose soul comes to the table or would you rather talk to someone who's robotic and reading off their talking points, right? No robots, so, no robots. Yeah. yeah. Robots. Amani's like robots. Be you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But a mini, there's an, I believe that podcast guesting and being on podcasts and hosting is kind of the modern day form of like networking at an advanced yes. level. Do you agree or disagree? Tell us your thoughts on that statement. Oh my God. Okay. First of all, <laughs> let's just back it up for two seconds. I am an introvert. Okay. So I don't fucking want to go to a conference. Okay. I don't want to spend time talking to people who I don't drive with. And then I wasted an hour. I mean, it's exhausting people. It's exhausting. Um, the podcast strategy is, it's like a, you literally shortcut 10 years. By having a podcast and being a guest on podcast, you shortcut 10 years. This is the best case study to, to show this. I had 2,500 Instagram followers when I launched my book. Because of podcasting for a couple of years at that point, staying in contact with the guests, creating a relationship with them. They were top reality TV stars, best-selling authors, women running the best uh, CPG brands that were in Sephora, et cetera. And then because I've been a guest on so many podcasts, keeping up with those hosts, et cetera. I'm really, really cultivating that network. Um, when my book went live, 
the week of book launch, over 8 million followers posted about me total. Mm. And my book hit number 11 on Amazon for women in business. Mm -hmm. That did not come from my followers. That came from my network. My network got behind me. They were like, oh, Scout, I had a fucking great conversation with her a year ago. She follows me on Instagram. She keeps up. She comments. She supports me. I got pregnant. She posted my story on her on her Instagram to congratulate me. Where's her book? I got to post about it. I love that mm-hmm. girl. Yeah. That's the power of podcasting. I was, I, I, I can't iterate it enough that five years ago, I had no reputation, zero. I had no personal brand identity on the internet. I had no connections. And today, if you really look through my Instagram at the women who are liking my posts and commenting on them, you'd see people who are pretty big, right? That all came from this medium because I did it in a way that was human first, connection first. I supported the people that I was really meeting, right? I did what I could to support them and I continue to do what I can to support them. And through that, in just five years, I've created a reputation, a wildly successful business and a name in a space that I had no credentials to be in in the first place. Mm. Okay. You belong. So, you belong in that space. Yeah, absolutely. Thank yes. You. Yes. Yeah. I don't want to take what you said because a lot of times people's mindsets are a little bit off when it comes to guesting on podcasts. They might not feel that they're worthy of being a guest and things of that nature. So I want to kind of ask about mindset. But first, yeah. I want to ask you, how are you able to shift out of your sales scarcity mindset when you were first building your business? You know, money mindset for me has been something that I have actively, actively had to work on. I think all entrepreneurs do. Um, It comes from childhood. It is so complicated and so linked with so much of of our traumas, of our insecurities, of the way we were raised. And even today, I was voice noting a friend and I was like, I need you to help me get out of this scarcity mindset right now. Mm. And someone, I mean, me three years ago would laugh, would not believe that I actually had a scarcity moment today, right? So it really is an ongoing thing. And I always have to remind myself that money, the number of dollars doesn't actually change the way you view your life and the way you view your relationship to money. It doesn't matter how much money you have. If your mindset is the same, you will always view that amount of money as the same, whether you have it or you don't have it. And so I think as a business owner and an entrepreneur, your money mindset has to be the biggest thing that you work on continuously because you can't show up at a sales call desperate. Who wants to buy the car from the needy salesman? No one. You want to buy the car from the guy who doesn't care if you buy that car or not because he's good. Right? Or they just love the car so much that they want you to have the car too. Yeah. yeah. Or they yeah. feel like this is the best car and they will die on the sword uh, behind that fact. Yeah. And so sales, I've never had a problem with. I love sales. I think when you believe in your product, it's not salesy as you kind of just alluded to Mandy. I never, I've never had to overcome the limiting belief that sales is whatever, all the limiting, you know, gross or whatever you want to call sales. I never thought that, you know, because, I really believed in what I was doing and I believed in the mission that I was serving and I was working for people is what I was doing. Um, I think where, I mean, I also am very unapologetic about, I love money. I love making money. I think more women need to stand up and say that. Um, But yeah, no, I work on my scarcity mindset all the time because we have to remember that our businesses 
are for me very specifically, I, I can't speak for everybody, but my business is so linked to my survival because I have a mental illness that will flare up if I'm not in alignment. And so anytime I feel like my business is threatened, I feel like my fulfillment, my alignment, my dreams, my security, my mental health is threatened. And so I have to constantly remind myself that I'm safe, that I can get through these moments. Um, but you will hear entrepreneurs at every level of the game, whether they're making $5,000 a month, $10,000 a month, $50,000 a month, six-figure months, multiple seven-figure years. It is a muscle that you have to continuously work at because every time you graduate to the new level, the same stories come up as when you have yes. $5 in your bank account. That's right. So it yeah. doesn't have anything to do with the number, has everything to do with where you're at and the next level that you're about to hit. Yes. Yes. Uh, Manny, I'm going to come to you, but I have a follow-up. No, go for it. Go, go. Take the reins. I'm yes, riding the yes. Imani wave. Go for it. Yeah. I, I want you to explain. I really love your perspective on when you have a piece of business and it might not be a match, but it's offering you good money. How do you mentally process the fact that I might need to turn this down to make space for something else that might come in the future, but you don't see it yet? <laughs> listen listen nothing about this path is one plus one equals two not one little bit of it i have taken that leap so many times amani and i've said this doesn't serve me anymore i gotta let it go and the new thing didn't come in until way longer and I needed mm -hmm. it to come in that next month. And I was like, excuse yes. me, I did the thing. Yes. Like I need it now, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but even though that gave me a lot of turmoil, I do believe in trusting a larger process. I do believe that business shows you you are less in control than you think you are. And that's a humbling and beautiful thing to really fall into. I also believe that if you have a client or if you have a vendor, or if you have a business relationship that is sucking the soul out of you and taking up so much time, it will not give you the room to call in the thing that is aligned. Now, if you let go of that relationship and that partnership and that contract, does that mean that the next month the aligned version is coming in? Not necessarily. That's a risk that you take. But we did not start businesses to not take risks. That doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt like hell. It doesn't mean that we've all been in positions where we don't know how we're going to get out of it. It doesn't mean where you feel like your world isn't crumbling at times, okay? This is not, we didn't do this because it's easy. We didn't. So if you really want to go after it, you have to be honest about what's lighting you up, what's fulfilling you, and you have to take the radical action to get you as close to complete alignment as you possibly can. And I'm, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it doesn't suck. And I'm not saying just because you take those actions, you get the rewards the next month. I'm still waiting for mine right now from the last time I did that, right? <laughs> but that's our job. That's our job. That is literally in our job description. So do you want the job or do you not want the job is the question. So Mandy, I'm just going to do this real quick there, play a little. Oh, yay. <laughs> Two applauses. Two applauses in one call. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that was a great, great answer. I, I appreciate your perspective very much because that's something I'm sure Manny goes through. I yeah. go through as like a DJ, a speaker. You're quoting things. They don't want to pay you. So like, I'm going to let this one pass. And then you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting like, okay. So I appreciate that. Over to yeah. you, Manny. 
And and Scout, I I echo everything you say. I live by that. Make space for people that want to work with you and that you want to work with and trust your gut and trust the process and have some patience and and it's okay to fire assholes. Like we, that's part of the beauty of running your own business is that you don't have to work with assholes. You know, sorry, Amani, I know you're blessing, blushing. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Amani. <laughs> but but I, I I agree with you wholeheartedly. And you you uh Illis, you um articulated that so well. So thank you for repeating that. And uh, I think that's gonna be something that we listen to over and over when we listen to the replay because it's it's powerful. Cause there's is that goes back to your scarcity of you know, we're afraid to let go of a client because we're afraid we won't make the money and we're afraid that we can't pay our bills. But that's just uh, you're really, truly making space. So thank you. Um, I want to go back to the co the conversation about podcasting. We talked about what makes a great guest. What do you think for people out there that are starting their own podcast or trying to level up their podcast, like what makes a great podcast? What makes a podcast desirable for people to want to listen to or be on? I think, first of all, it's the intention of the podcast itself. So a lot of people want to start a podcast and they want to get ad revenue or they want to get famous or they want to build a big community. And podcasting is one of the hardest platform to grow from any other platform. Um, it, it is the lowest amount of numbers compared to TikTok or Instagram, et cetera. Um, so I also, I like to like to give a reframe first to any podcast host who's like, I want to grow my show and I want to make money. It, the average CPM for a podcast ad is $25 per every thousand downloads you have. Cool. <laughs> like it's, it's not, yeah. it's not great. You know what yeah. I mean? It's not yeah. great. And so it's, it's about reframing why you're doing this, because I believe if you reframe that, you show up differently on the mic. Um, I believe in switching the ROI in your mind from monetary or even community-based to networking, to getting to know yourself, to being confident behind the mic, to massaging your messaging, to growing as a person, to having interesting conversations. I actually think it needs to come from that place. And from that place, a good show is created. Mm -hmm. I would like to say... There's, some, there's something that I think people need to start talking about, which is social currency, right? 10,000 TikTok followers is not as impactful as 10,000 Instagram followers. But 10,000 podcast downloads is way more impactful than 10,000 Instagram followers. Mm -hmm. And so the numbers don't add up. It's not, it's, they're different currencies. And we got to, you know, start using the whatever, you know, you go to Europe, you, you do the translate, whatever. Mm -hmm. So know that the numbers are going to be smaller across the board than you see a TikTok star rising to fame. Even the biggest podcasts, the numbers are not as shockingly big as one would think, but they are impactful because they have people's attention for up to an hour. I would rather, I would literally rather a hundred people listen to this than one of my reels get 10,000 views mm -hmm. because this is going to leave a lasting impression on those a hundred people versus a real if you ask someone two months later, if they watch that reel, they would probably say no, because they probably mm. won't remember it. Yeah. So I think it's about reframing why you're coming to the mic. And yes, of course, we all get to grow and we all get to make money off of this. But if you play the podcasting game right, which is human and vulnerable and authentic and aligned and fulfilling and intimate, if you play it that way, you will see the benefits come to fruition, you know? My sister and I at OKC's podcast, that is not our full-time job, nor would that ever support us full-time. We are lucky that we make money off of it to run, the, to run the socials and the ads and the network, et cetera. We're lucky. 
But I think it really is about reframing your ROI first. What do you want to get out of it? Do you want intimate conversations? Do you want to network? Do you want to have a place for your community to really get to know you more and have it be a much more human first approach before you even get on the mic? That's number one. Number two, the more you can show up in your authentic space with, you know, you're, you're going to be awkward sometimes. It's going to mix and match a little bit. But the more that you can show up as you, 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 it'll be, a, it'll translate to a better show and having conversations that are not so back to the word robotic, right? Like give room to improvise, give room yeah. to let the conversation go. And the more intimate you can get and the more vulnerable, and I, I'm sorry, I really hate that word. I hate the word vulnerable and authentic now, but we need <laughs> another word, but you know what I'm saying? That's yeah. really what makes a good show. Yeah. Keeping it real. What uh, now a technical question. Yeah. For your podcasts that you have, what platform do you use? What's What technical systems do you use? So when we're recording virtually, we use Riverside because mm -hmm. it has good um, video quality, but I would not say that the connection is that great, which is frustrating. Um, and then we have a Zoom. It's confusing because there's two Zooms, the Zoom that we all use from the pandemic and now, whatever. But then there's a we do external recording on a Zoom H6, I think it is. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. I have one of those right here. Also, or, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the little ones. Also, I will say, um, don't let the tech scare you. Yeah. Right? I mean, my sister and I have recorded podcasts in the park on our stuff. Like, who cares? No one cares. Mm -hmm. The audio experience is not that bad. We have very good technology. Like, don't let the tech scare you. Sometimes I've recorded, I literally recorded driving one time because I was like, oh, I should get a pod I need to get a podcast episode in today and I'm driving home from L.A or I recorded on the voice note of my phone, it, it's okay. Like just start and get the good conversation going as long as there's not fire trucks or static or really, really obnoxious things in the background. Let the tech get better and better as you go on, but just jump in. Yeah. And I, th I know you just said we don't like vulnerable or authentic. And I was just, I was thinking of a word to replace that. And the thing that came up when you just said that is forgiving. I think podcast recording is very forgiving because yeah. We have had situations where uh, Amani's had a renovation or the whole platform closes down and the, just shit happens. Right. And, yeah. um, but I think people are, it's not like you're watching the news and you expect it to be perfect. I think people are very forgiving with the medium, with the podcast medium. So it makes the barrier to entry less intimidating, right? Just like get in there and try a bunch of stuff out. So that's. Um, yeah. And it's, it's yeah. always fun. My sister and I recorded outside in my backyard and all of the dogs in the neighborhood went off. And we're just like, hey, guys, the dogs are going crazy. We don't want to go inside. It's a really nice day out. So we're going to keep recording. You know, it's like that. <laughs> yeah. It makes it relatable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. I mean, we're even having buffering issues today as I'm monitoring things behind the scenes, but we're still cruising right along. So it's fine. It's fine. Um, now we come to the point of the show where it's time for us to flip the script. And now you can ask both Mandy and myself a question. You can choose what question to ask, who you're going to ask first, and what are we going to do? What do you think, Scout? I'm going to ask you both the same question. Ooh. This is the question that my sister and I end every OKSIS podcast episode with. If you could brag about one thing and you weren't allowed to be humble, what would you brag about? Mm -hmm. Mandy, you go first. I went first last week. Oh, you're right. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. I knew you were going to do that. Um, I think I care. I think I, uh, I would just brag about I have heart, I have soul, and I 
really care. I care about my business. I care about my clients. I care about my husband and my dog and Imani and Scout and our client. Um. I just, I care. I care so deeply. And I think that shows up and sometimes it's to my detriment, but I'm fine with it as to me, to my detriment. Cause a lot of people, they care and they don't show it or they care and they don't know how to show it. And I think I care and I execute on that caring. And I'm really proud of that. That's a good question. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna. Mine's gonna be a little bit more tangible. Amadi's <laughs> like, Amadi's like, I'm not doing this touchy feely thing, Mandy. Get me out of yeah, here. I'm Get me out of here. Big trophy in the room and everything. No, just. <laughs> I would say, um, just the ability I had to completely change careers, like you know, in my 30s or whatever, went from being like full time executive, very nicely paid executive with Marriott, to being like a full time DJ and pursuing a creative life. Um, and being successful, not that there haven't been some ups and downs and there will continue to be some ups and downs, but I think that's probably one of the main things that, um, I'm most proud of. And I would love to brag about. Mm, that's very amazing. That takes a lot of courage to make such a, such a deep pivot. That's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, my next, see, Manny likes to talk about the podcast. I like to talk about mindset. So we're like playing a tennis match. Back and forth we go. But I want to ask you, in your opinion, because you've talked about this frequently, you've been through it and you've probably witnessed it also. Why do you feel that self-doubt holds so many people back? This is one that if I could have a magic wand and remove things from people, this is, this is the one that it would be. Um, I talk to so many female entrepreneurs. I take all the sales calls for Scott's agency. I talk to everyone from women who are just starting to women who have a million followers to women who make, you know, a five-figure salary to women who make multiple seven figures to women who have top turning businesses to women who just quit their day job and they don't know what they're doing. Like I talk to women at every stage of the game with every sort of, let's just say, tangible metric of success possible, right? And the amount of times I hear from any person, whether they are Forbes 30 under 30 and have a seven figure business, or they just started and they don't know if their story has value. They always ask me, well, would a podcast host want to have me on? Like <laughs> what, what would I talk about? And so I have just labeled this as a part of the human experience that some of us struggle more than others. And if the girl who runs the eight-figure business is saying it and the girl who just quit her day job is saying it, it's just part of the entry, the barrier to entry. It's just almost like sometimes for me, it's fear. Like I just get scared. I'm like, oh, there's my friend. I'm, I'm about to pay the ticket to walk into the stadium. And so if we can reframe that, if you suffer from self-doubt, one, know that every single person has it. I mean, it, it, I, I could tell you names and it, it'll shock you, right? Every single person has it. So if they have it, it doesn't actually mean anything about you and your value. It just means that that's the indication that you're about to step onto your next level. You're standing on an edge of your comfort zone and you're about to play a little bit of a bigger game. So when these things arise, it doesn't mean anything about your inherent value. It's actually just a little sign. I like the pink flag idea, a pink flag that you're about to play a bigger game and you're actually one step closer to your dreams. And so if you can reframe it that way, and say, oh, self-doubt, thank you. I know that you're trying to keep me comfortable. I know you're trying to keep me safe. And you're really, really indicating and showing me that I'm about to do something that's big yeah. because I believe in myself. If you can reframe it that way, you can get past it. But 
it's not unique to you. You are not special. You are not so special that you have nothing to say. You are not the only person in this world without a story. You are not special. You are just a human being. And every human being has a massively important story to tell. And that's it. I think that when we get into self-doubt, it's almost like the reverse ego, right? When you don't think you're the best, you're separating yourself from others and you're saying that you're different. It's just the opposite way, right? Yeah. And And I want to... It's not true. And you actually talk a lot about this, the humans being multifaceted and and not hiding behind just one job or one persona. Mm. So can you not since you just kind of brought that up, can you build on that? Like, what is your opinion on because I, I say there's no side hustle. It's just all hustle. And we can do we can do whatever we want to do. Like we can make movies. We can own a lollipop store. We can do all the yeah. things. So like, can you talk about being multifaceted and how that is powerful? Maybe can help conquer the self doubt by accepting that you are multifaceted. I mean, I would take this interview as an example. I started talking about the Olsen twins and then I talked about my bipolar disorder and then we talked about (laughs) entrepreneurship and then we talked about mindset. I mean, me just saying that I'm bipolar disorder as an entrepreneur is me refusing to only show up as the professional successful businesswoman that I am. And it's this limiting thing of like, I remember when I finally told my story on the podcast about being bipolar, I was like, oh my God, are my clients not going to hire me? Guess what? Mm. Every client who ever finds out respects me more. And so I think that we have this convoluted idea that we have to be presentable into certain boxes. And that's the way society has lied to us. But underneath all that, we are starving for the actual person to come forward. We are literally starving. And when you show up in all of your power, in all of you, it lets other people feel seen and accepted in all of theirs. And they are then magnetized to you whether it's in business, in your personal life, in your relationships, it is safe and okay to be all of us in 2023, I believe. Well, I mean, I know sometimes it is not safe for everyone to be themselves, but I want people to internally really think about accepting themselves internally and feeling safe inside at least to know that they get to be who they are. All of the things, all the things of who they are. Yeah. 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 So I have a two-part final question for you. The okay. final part is is one of my favorite questions I ask. I, I'm really curious to hear your answer. Um, number one is, what is your definition of fear? And then if you could go back and talk to 21-year-old Scout, right when you were maybe considering leaving college and just give her advice based on everything you know now and you've been through now, what advice would you give your younger self? Mm, so my definition of fear is that it's the invitation to the game. And I find that once I reframe it that way, I know that when it comes, I'm about to enter into a really beautiful new arena. And that's the first step that I got to say, hi, hello, nice to see you. Thank you for coming. I'm going to keep walking. That's my definition of fear. And what I would tell my younger self, I actually wouldn't tell her anything Hmm. because she had to do and go and be through every moment and if i gave her advice she might have course corrected or changed something or healed faster or not healed um and it would be a shame to to alter anything about my present life today so i would actually not tell her anything because i think she needed to be exactly where she was and i don't think she needed to hear anything other than the words that she was hearing in those moments 
Oh, well, I yeah. love how you respect the journey. That's just beautiful. <laughs> Scott. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you guys. What, what is the, we have your Instagram up there. Is there any other way that our viewers, listeners can support you and yourself and your company? Yeah, you can find out more about our com- my company, our company, my company, uh, the three of our companies now uh, at scoutsagency.com. <laughs> you can follow me on Instagram at scoutsobel personally. I'm taking a August off, but that's really where everything is. You can see my beautiful baby girl and all the things there. And in my link in bio, it has links to my book, my podcast, my business, and all the stuff there. Amazing. So I'm going to say thank you for being yourself during the interview. I'm not going to use the V word. And we just appreciate <laughs> your originality and your resilience. So thank you. Uh, Mandy, anything else to add? Thanks for sharing your story. And um, and just for those of you out there that want to enhance your thought leadership, just a super quick commercial. When I launched my audio book, it was a year after I launched my physical book, and I hired Scouts Agency to do a podcast tour for me. And I, they secured so many, I think I was on like 22 episodes or something. I mean, they secured so many podcasts for me and they were the right hosts. And, um, and it was great. It was, uh, it was a great pair for what I was doing at that time with my business. So if, you, if that's something you want to do, hire them. I mean, and I, I say that not just, uh, they're not a sponsor of the show. <laughs> I say that because I, I live to tell the story. It was, uh, it was really, and I interviewed, I worked with PR agencies on my book on the first round. I interviewed a whole bunch of different people and I would do it all over again. I mean, scout agency is a class act and you guys do a really, really good job. Very thoughtful. Very Thank thoughtful. You. Yeah. Thank you so yes. much. That means a lot yeah. to me. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to give you your third round of applause. We're going to push you in the green room. So thanks again. Round of applause. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to Adventures in Business. Don't forget to rate and review our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening it on. And don't forget to share it with your friends and anybody that might be as much of the business nerds as Amani and I are. See you next time for another captivating interview.